The Daily 202's Big Idea is sponsored by Cleveland Clinic, ranked number one in the nation in heart care 24 years in a row, according to U.S. News & World Report. For information on the complex cases treated at Cleveland Clinic or to get a second opinion, visit clevelandclinic.org slash heartcare. Good morning. I'm James Hellman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, March 15th. In today's news, North Korea threatens to resume missile launches and nuclear tests. A dozen Republican senators break with President Trump on his emergency declaration, but only one's up for re-election in 2020. And it turns out the FBI was tipped off to the college admission scandal by a guy looking for leniency in an unrelated securities fraud case. But first, the big idea. 49 people are dead and scores more are seriously injured after a heavily armed gunman clad in military-style gear opened fire during prayers at a mosque in the center of Christchurch, New Zealand on Friday. A second mosque was also targeted in what the prime minister is calling a well-planned terrorist attack. Authorities initially said they had four people in custody, three men and one woman, but later clarified that only three were believed to have been involved in the violence. One man in his late 20s, whom the authorities declined to name, was charged with murder and is expected to appear in court on Saturday morning. Police have deactivated an improvised explosive device, and they're looking to disarm a second IED that was attached to a vehicle used by the suspects. New Zealand Police Commissioner Mike Bush says 41 people were killed at Al-Nur Mosque on Dean's Road, opposite a large downtown park. Seven more were fatally shot three miles away at a mosque in Linwood, which is an inner suburb of Christchurch. Health officials say another 48 patients, including young children, are being treated for gunshot wounds at the hospital, while additional victims are seeking medical treatment elsewhere. Portions of the ghastly attack on the downtown mosque were broadcast live on social media by a man who police confirm has also released a manifesto railing against Muslims and immigrants. The 74-page document stated that he was following the example of notorious right-wing extremists, including Dylan Roof, who murdered nine black churchgoers in Charleston, South Carolina in 2015. The document is littered with conspiracy theories about white birth rates and white genocide. It's the latest sign that a lethal vision of white nationalism has spread internationally. In a country of nearly 5 million, more than 46,000 residents in New Zealand are Muslim, up 28 percent from 2006. In the manifesto, the purported shooter identified himself as a 28-year-old white man born in Australia. He described his motivation, which he said involved, quote, defending our lands from invaders and ensuring a future for white children. The 17-minute video that he posted, apparently filmed from a helmet camera, captured his drive to the mosque. Once there, he pulled a weapon from the trunk of the car and walked a short distance to the entrance where he began to shoot. In the final minutes of the video, he can be seen spraying bullets through the corridors and into the rooms of the house of worship. Violent crime is rare in New Zealand compared to the rest of the world. The country's murder rate fell to a 40-year low in 2017, with only 35 homicides. But the sense of tranquility reflected in those figures was replaced by mayhem and desperation, as residents appeared on local TV pleading for information about family members who had been at the targeted mosques during Friday prayers. Recalling the scene inside where several hundred were present, one eyewitness at the downtown mosque told Radio New Zealand, quote, there was blood everywhere. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, 
North Korea announced overnight that it is seriously considering suspending denuclearization talks with the United States unless Washington makes immediate and significant concessions. The vice foreign minister told journalists in Pyongyang that Kim Jong-un is set to make an official announcement soon on whether to continue diplomatic talks and maintain the country's moratorium on missile launches and nuclear tests. This threat comes as new evidence surfaces that North Korea has rebuilt a satellite rocket launch pad. There's been rampant speculation among people who follow this stuff that it might be preparing an imminent rocket launch. At the failed summit in Hanoi last month, Kim offered a partial shutdown of the Yangbyon Nuclear Research Center in return for the U.S. lifting almost all the meaningful economic sanctions on his country. The research center is where a large part of North Korea's fizzle material is produced, but not all of it. Trump rejected that deal on the grounds that it would allow Pyongyang to continue producing weapons of mass destruction, which would effectively be financed by the lifting of sanctions. Globally, there was widespread agreement that North Korea was offering too little and demanding too much. But Trump's counteroffer was also widely seen as unrealistic. He tried to persuade Kim to, quote, go big and surrender his entire arsenal of nuclear, chemical and biological weapons in return for somewhat general promises of a bright economic future and eased sanctions. Number two. 12 Republican senators joined all their Democratic colleagues to pass a resolution disapproving of Trump's emergency declaration at the southern border, but the measure fell short of a veto-proof majority. Because the resolution already passed the House last month, this bill will now go to the president's desk, and he promises to use the first veto of his presidency to strike it down. In the end, only one Republican up for re-election next year, Susan Collins of Maine, voted for the disapproval resolution. Some Republicans said Trump's strategy of framing this vote in personal terms rather than providing a legal rationale for the declaration may have prevented the White House from limiting the number of defections. But Trump clearly still has juice. Spooked by the threat of a primary challenge backed by the president, Senator Tom Tillis, a Republican from North Carolina, flip-flopped and decided to vote against the resolution at the last minute after writing an op-ed explaining why he strongly supported it. He's got a tough re-election in a swing state next year, but there's no way to win if you don't first prevail in the GOP primary. Number three, FBI agents were tipped off to the college admission scheme that led to 50 indictments earlier this week by a man they were investigating for securities fraud. Once he was caught in a pump and dump scam, the Los Angeles financial executive offered agents a tantalizing lead. The women's soccer coach at Yale had suggested a bribe could get his daughter into the school. That led to him wearing a wire and setting up a meeting with the coach. The feds then flipped the coach and took it from there, eventually rolling up the guy who they say mastermind the whole thing. Meanwhile, the University of Southern California announced yesterday that it has rescinded the admissions of a half dozen students who got in because of the scheme. And a class action lawsuit was filed on behalf of applicants who were denied admission to several universities that were affected by the scandal, with people saying the school should have done more to prevent the fraud. The Hallmark Channel announced that it has dropped Lori Laughlin from all future projects. And William McGlashan, who allegedly bribed a USC official to get his son admitted, stepped down as the head of the private equity fund TPG Growth. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, March 15th. Thanks for listening. Have a great weekend. I'm James Holman. I'll talk to you on Monday.